something from the Word of God this morning with you. Uh, As I've already said, it's uh, uh, Psalm 1 that we're going to be looking at, and uh, I hope that uh, from that we can find uh, a blessing uh, from God uh, in it. Um, The Psalms has probably been uh, one of these uh, most read parts of the Bible. Um, many Christians make the Psalms part of their daily reading, uh, part of their daily meditation, and that's a very good thing. And we often turn to the Psalms for, for encouragement. We turn for comfort in times of difficulty or in moments of crisis or despair. And so um, as we look at the Psalms, um, we, can, we can see them as something that we kind of jump into from time to time. Um, we often uh, run to our favorite psalm uh, to find something like a kind of bolt hole from the trials and difficulties of, of our lives. And often we can um, forget the others completely uh, in terms of our own um, daily meditations and so on. But I hope that as we encounter the psalms today... Um, it will bring much more depth and flavor uh, to our Christian walk um, than, than perhaps we've seen to date. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Psalms, and I have to say that uh, even in my own situation, I found that beginning to, to meditate on the Psalms and look at the Psalms more regularly has been of great benefit to, to me. Um, so there are three areas um, I'd like to, to look at today uh, and a fourth, uh, a kind of additional part which will be the actual looking at the psalm itself. But before we get there, three areas. Uh, to, first of all, to declare and to state that the psalms are really Christian. Although they're from an Old Testament uh, book, um, they are Christian. And secondly, um, and I, I may well be uh, teaching my granny to suck eggs, but the psalms need to be sung and the Psalms need to be prayed. So these are the areas. The Psalms are Christian, the Psalms should be sung, um, and the Psalms should be prayed. And uh, so first of all, the, the, um, the Psalms are Christian. Uh, due to their kind of Bible location, the Psalms um, kind of smack bang in the, in the Old Testament, right in the middle of the Old Testament, um, they can, we can be of the opinion that well, they're a kind of old and dusty book that um, we can pull from the shelf in times of trouble. But um, not just sticking to the good bits and, and meditating on the good bits, but um, we can see that uh, as we begin to look at the, the Psalms from a particular perspective, that the, the Psalms are filled with Christ. And uh, we hope that that will come through in what we're looking at today. Uh, even Jesus himself made it clear uh, that the Old Testament scriptures were all about him. And uh, I think it's important for us to realize that the Old, Te- the Old Testament was pointing to a particular point in history, and that is the cross, and to Jesus' time. And uh, the New Testament, in some ways, points back to that. And so the, the fulcrum point of all of history is where the cross of Jesus Christ is displayed for us Uh, showing us the salvation of God. 
But in John's Gospel, chapter 5, if you're taking notes, you may want to take a note of these references. But in John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 39, uh, Jesus is speaking uh, to the Jewish leaders um, who, were, who were persecuting him. And uh, he says, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Now, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures, including the Psalms, uh, when he says that. And then in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, and verse 27, uh, that famous um, moment on the road to Emmaus, um, Jesus bumps into or comes across these people who are disciples and, and are kind of struggling with the whole fact that the the cross has taken place, Jesus has died, and, and everything that they had lived for uh, up until that point is now finished. And uh, he begins to speak with them and spend time with them. And it tells us there in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. So again, Jesus himself is pointing to the fact that the Old Testament scriptures are uh, about Jesus himself. And so, as I said before, the Old Testament looks forward to the cross. The New Testament looks back to the cross, and we find that Jesus is the focus of all of that um, as we read the scriptures. So the, the Psalms being part of the Old Testament is full of Christ and therefore fully uh, messianic and me fully Christian, if you like, uh, as we read them. And so we need to remember that as we, um, as we read the Psalms together, as we read them ourselves, um, by ourselves, as we meditate upon them. So we need to, to uh, sing the Psalms. Now, in some ways, as I said, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here a little bit um, when I talk about singing the Psalms in the free church. The free church is very well versed in singing psalms, and we've already sung a psalm this morning. And uh, <clears throat> not all of us, of course, have a free church background, and I'm one of those who didn't come from the free church originally, um, but find myself here and very uh, happy about it as well. Um, but for a, for a very long time, this church, uh, the free church, and, and St. Peter's in, uh, as well as part of that, has sung the psalms. And... Uh, even before, uh, historically, um, the, the Psalms were sung uh, a lot in uh, the, the early church. Um, during St. Benedict's time, now that's a long time ago, uh, probably uh, 400 to 500 BC, uh, AD, I should say, uh, he uh, required that all of the Psalms, 150 of them, were completed as part of the, the liturgy every week. Um, so we think perhaps in the free church we, we sing a lot of the psalms, but way back in his time, that was very important to the church was to sing the psalms regularly as part of the church liturgy. And so perhaps we've got something to learn uh, from that as well because the psalms became very, very significant uh, to the church and uh, should continue to be so. Uh, when I arrived uh, at St. Peter's um, as a, a semi-mad charismatic uh, in 2004, 
Some people would probably like to remove the word semi from there. <laughs> um, I was kind of, came into this church, and at that time, it was only samadhi. There were no other uh, forms of singing uh, in the church. And uh, for a long time, I wasn't fully convinced um, of, uh, about psalm singing because in my sort of mad charismatic mind, um, we seemed to be singing some very depressing stuff um, when we were singing the psalms. Um, you know, like in Psalm 3 where it talks about breaking the enemy's teeth and all the rest of it. And uh, I think, what on earth are we singing this for? And, but I have to tell you that over the years, and it's quite a number of years now, I've had a 360-degree turn with regard to the psalms. And I love singing the psalms. I absolutely love them. And uh, there are so much uh, inspiration uh, for those of us who uh, sometimes find difficulties in life, t- troubles in life, and so on, uh, to turn to. But much, much more than that as well. J.J. Lim, who's, uh, who's a preacher and writer, uh, says this, The Psalms is the inspired hymn book or song book of the church. Within the Psalms are the songs of Christ given for his church to sing in union with him. And I think that's important for us to realize. And I tried to communicate that a little uh, to the children earlier on, that when we are singing the Psalms, when we are communicating the Psalms in any way, we are, we are doing it along with Christ. And we'll come to a little bit more than that uh, on that later on. Um, and so the Psalms is about singing. The Psalms is about prayer as well. And uh, prayer can be one of these subjects. If someone mentions it from the pulpit, uh, we kind of uh, go into zombie mode. Uh, we, we kind of put the shutters down because we say, not another prayer meeting. But in actual fact, when you bring the Psalms into the, the center of prayer, there is something absolutely wonderful about it. And so and rather than our eyes glazing over when we talk about prayer, there is something inspiration, there's something wonderful comes um, as we uncover what the Psalms has to say about prayer. A little reference in, in Joel 2.32, and it says this, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when we think about the Psalms, we think about them in that way as well. As we call on the name of the Lord, there is something that happens. There is a response from God. And Joel, he's saying that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it may be that you're here today and you, you're, you're, you're in some sort of crisis. Uh, you may not be a Christian. You may not be a believer. And the, the, the Bible here is calling you, is instructing you to call on the name of the Lord. And as we read the Psalms, as we pick up the Psalms and begin to read what they have to say and meditate upon them, we are calling on the name of the Lord and he will hear us and he will respond to us because we are praying and calling out the words of Jesus himself. So prayer uh, is our lifeblood, according to Christopher Ash, again another commentator, and I've read quite a bit of Christopher Ash's material and, and I would recommend him to you. It's really, really uh, interesting and wonderful stuff uh, that he produces. And uh, it says here, uh, if we pray, 
We live in, with God. If we don't pray, then we do not. That's a very sort of straightforward statement. If we pray, we live with God. If we don't, then we do not. Prayer is an urgent and ever-present necessity every day of our Christian lives. And that may well be a challenge to us, but I think it's important that we realize that it's a standard that God requires of us is to pray. It's part of our daily uh, lifeblood, as he puts it. John the Baptist uh, taught his disciples to pray, and Jesus taught his disciples to pray as well. In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 2, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So again, find out that both of these are true, that John taught his disciples and so did Jesus. And he said to them, when you pray, say. (laughs) When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And we know the Lord's Prayer, many of us, very well. When you pray, say. And he gave them instruction on how to pray. John chapter 6, verses 5 to 8. Again, he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. So again, he's discipling these people. He's instructing them. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And so again, some instruction from Jesus on prayer to his disciples. In Luke chapter 18, verses 10 to 14, it says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, pointing to the other guy. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat on his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humble, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. And so again, Jesus is giving instruction on prayer uh, to his disciples. And so prayer became very key and very important uh, to their walk. And he wanted them to know uh, of the center piece that prayer should be uh, in our lives. And uh, there is also an instruction uh, from Jesus in Luke 18, verses 1 to 8, the earlier part than we've just read. And it's about a woman who persists in prayer. And again, we're called to persist. Um, And so I'll leave you to read that uh, on your own. But there's a persistence that Jesus talks about. And he says, "Will, will not God hear someone who continues and persists? He's talking about a judge who, who uh, the woman would not give up on, uh, on her uh, particular situation. And uh, 
um, he is saying that we need to be persistent in prayer as well. And I think that's important to us as we uh, look at the Psalms. So Jesus sings and prays the Psalms. I believe that very, uh, is very important for us to understand. Uh, as we come to pray, uh, if we're seeking to understand the kind of why and the how of singing and praying the Psalms, then one good thing to keep in mind, uh, and, and it's something that I found very helpful, uh, is to keep in mind that as we pray, we remember that um, we should read the Psalms as prayers of Jesus. That uh, the Psalms were Jesus praying these words, uh, communicating these words uh, in very many different circumstances, times of joy and times of difficulty. Um, and he wrote, uh, he, he read or prayed these Psalms out loud. And so uh, when we begin to pray them, then remember we're praying the words of Jesus to his Father. And that I find very helpful uh, when, I, when I think about it and consider and meditate on the Psalms. So when we pray the Psalms, um, and, uh, uh, and we do our prayer meetings, I, I don't know if you've noticed that when Andy is leading the prayer meeting, he'll, he'll bring a psalm uh, to us and we can use these uh, as part of our prayer. When you pray, say, Lord, uh, from the depths I cry to you. There's Psalm 130, which is one of these psalms that over this last week or two has been something, not so that, because I'm particularly depressed or in difficulty right now, but one of these psalms that I'm praying, trying to understand the depth of meaning that comes from the psalms. When we pray them, we pray something, or when we sing them, we sing something which is, which is absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful, and is the words of Christ himself as we bring it. In some ways, historically, the Psalms predominantly express David's heart. And so um, David obviously penned these words and the other psalmists as well, Asaph and the sons of Korah and Solomon and others who, who wrote Psalms, um, connected to David, all of them, uh, interestingly. As did some of the others, David wrote, and sang and prayed under the direction and guidance of the Spirit of God. Uh, we read in 2 Timothy 3, 16, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so when we, when we read the Psalms, we realize that they too are God-breathed. And so the Psalms have a greater significance uh, for Christians than a simple historical record uh, for example, um, there may well be a praise or a lament or uh, a song of joy uh, of some sort uh, for is one of Israel's kings, King David. But it's more than that for us. The Psalms are also um, messianic uh, in their nature. So they're not just historical writings. They're messianic in their nature. Jesus sung them, as we've said, and prayed them. And during the Passover Psalms 113 to 118 were, were likely to be sung. Uh, there are a number of examples, but perhaps the most obvious uh, psalm that we hear Jesus communicate uh, is the psalm that he spoke on the cross in Psalm 22. 
Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Now, clearly, David wrote these words, but Jesus was using these words. So David wrote them by the inspiration of the Spirit in order that Jesus could speak them uh, in his times of difficulty. And I suspect many, many other times Jesus would speak the Psalms, pray the Psalms, and even sing the Psalms. So David wrote them at a time when he was crying out in distress, a time of great trouble. He was probably describing one of the, the times when he was fleeing away from an enemy of some sort, maybe Saul or maybe Absalom, uh, around about that time. And yet the Spirit has written the words to be uttered by Christ on the cross. And a few of us here have probably experienced the kind of troubles that David went through. Um, I don't know if you ever, when you're reading the Psalms, think, well, wait a minute, um, I'm reading this, but it doesn't really directly relate to me because my experience hasn't been that. And uh, so, and we've certainly not suffered in the way that Christ has suffered uh, for us. Um, and so, um, we, we fellowship in that suffering, but we have not been through it. So there's not a direct line we can take from uh, the, the Psalms directly to us. But there's something important about them. So in reading the Psalms, we don't take a, a, a line and draw from David to us. Um, we don't say, oh yeah, David, I, I get it. I, I feel your pain kind of thing. I'm going through exactly what you've been going through. And, well, we can't really do that. And nor can we say, well, yep, Jesus, I get it. Um, I know exactly what you mean uh, when you say what you're saying. Um, I'm going through exactly what you're going through. No, we can't do that either. Um, so we need to understand that when we read the Psalms, when we pray the Psalms, we pray them because we are in Christ, that Christ has done something uh, for us. He has brought us into him. We live in him. We are in him. And so, therefore, we can say, thank you, Lord, that you suffered so much that I can be carried through that in my suffering. And that's, I think, where the key to, to communicating the Psalms is all about. It's about us being in Christ. And as we communicate these things, we're saying, Lord, yes, I understand, not because I've been through that, but I understand that because you've been through it, I can get through it as well. And he takes us uh, through our pain, our anguish, our difficulties, and even through our times of great joy uh, as well. And so we can perhaps say it like this, that Lord Jesus, let me pray your prayer. Let me communicate what you've communicated, and so it will help me. Let me get through in my kind of limited time of suffering, because you know what real suffering is, and you won the victory uh, not only over suffering, but over death itself. And so the Psalms becomes a songbook and a prayer book for uh, those of us who are Christians. So during a time that we kind of venture into the Psalms just now, we're likely to uh, see numerous references to David praying and singing and so on, but also that it should work out for us uh, because we are in Christ. So we're going to look um, at Psalm 1. And uh, Psalm 1, we, we've read it, we've sung it this morning, 
Um, and there are many who will say, many of the commentators who will say, well, it probably shouldn't be called Psalm 1. It should be called the gateway to the Psalms or the introduction to the Psalms. Um, Spurgeon, uh, when he writes about that in, in his Treasury of David, uh, he says, if you, uh, I can't remember his exact words, but he says, if you take all the Psalms and put them in a box and shake them up and draw out of that a sermon, Psalm 1 would be your sermon because it's indicating something about all of the Psalms. And so let's read uh, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. So the word blessed here um, uh, appears to be a kind of beatitude uh, that we're, we're given right at the very outset. Uh, kind of similar to the, to the beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount maybe uh, in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit and so on, uh, that were given there. Um, but even when we, when we read these words, uh, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, take, uh, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Well, again, we may not feel that somehow or another that relates exactly to our, our experience. Um, we may find that it's, well, not quite ringing true for us somehow. So to whom is this, this psalm referring? And I think we've kind of uh, emphasized it a little bit. It's referring, yes, to David, of course. David penned these words historically uh, and went through times of real challenge. Uh, he had divine revelation, divine, divinely inspired as he wrote uh, these words down. Uh, but Christ is the greater David. Um, and I want to pick out a verse for you here in, in the New Testament with, with regard to that in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. If you can uh, just note that and look at it later, it says, There, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms the word of christ in psalms so what it's telling us here is that the psalms are actually jesus words the word of christ in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your heart to the lord so as we as we sing these we're singing to the lord the holy spirit would have us fill our hearts with the words of Christ in the Psalms. So if we fill our hearts, then out of our hearts comes something from our mouths. Luke 6, 45 tells us that a good man brings good things out of the good things stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, or out of the fullness of the heart the mouth speaks, the authorized version puts it, I think. And so here we have a situation where we can, we can bring into our hearts the words of Christ. We can bring into our hearts the goodness of God as we read the Psalms, as we pray the Psalms, and as we bring them uh, through in our meditations and so on. And out of our mouths then will come good things, out of the fullness of the heart. So our hearts get filled up with the good things of God and out of it comes uh, wonderful things. 
And so that's fantastic when we see that that kind of meditation uh, will change and transform everything that we say and do. And so as we jumped a little bit away from the verse there in verse 1, um, it says, blessed is the man who simply um, communicates, who, who walks in the way of God. And uh, to be blessed means, frankly, just to be happy. Uh, every, every human being uh, has, a, has a natural God-given desire to be happy. Um, man, every man wants to seek happiness for himself. But many, they, they seek it in the wrong places. Many seek happiness through power or through wealth or through health. Many seek happiness through food or even drinks and entertainment. And I suppose that's why these, these industries are so, so huge and, and uh, valuable nowadays. But these only create a sense of happiness in the body. There is something deeper than that. And I think as Christians, we know that and we, we kind of hanker for that and we desire that. We want to find something that is lasting. We want to find a blessedness that kind of touches our souls. You see, happiness has much to do with happenstance. In other words, the things that go on in our lives, the, the events of our lives. If conditions are good, then we seem to be happy. If conditions are not good, then we tend to be unhappy or sad for one reason or another. But there is a blessedness that comes from God that maintains our happiness even through the difficulties and the challenges that we face. It's called joy. It's a deeper thing than happiness. So that blessedness that we hear of written right in the very first part of this psalm is much deeper than the world can give us. It's a true blessedness. And we are given it as we sing the psalms, as we pray the psalms, uh, as we, we find the way of the Lord uh, going forward. So this, this blessedness comes from the, from the psalms as we, as we know the way of the Lord. Jesus is saying to his Father, your ways make me happy. He's praying that, he's declaring it. Uh, from this psalm, your ways make me happy. And we can also, with him, say only true happiness can be found in Christ, which is absolutely wonderful. And so the covenant that God watches over his people is, is just one of those issues um, that comes to us, one of these wonderful things that comes to us, an understanding of the covenant uh, God watches over uh, us in the same way as he watches over uh, the one, the son, uh, who delights in his law. Blessed is the one who delights in the law of the Lord, in verse 2, with all of his heart. The blessed one, is Christ, as we've said, delights in his heart, but he also meditates with his lips. I understand that the word meditation, now uh, I can see Will Traub beginning to sharpen his pencil here on me because it's a, 
Uh, it's an Old Testament uh, thing I'm trying to say from the Hebrew here. But meditation in Hebrew is more about, uh, about vocal meditation, not only just mental meditation and thinking about something, but it's about speaking it out. And so this, this person, this one, Christ himself, would speak out his meditation. And perhaps that's something that we can learn from him as, as well. We sing it, yes, that's right. But also when we consider the Psalms, speaking them out is a helpful thing for us to do. And so we in Christ can speak out these prayers. Lord Jesus Christ, we can say, help us declare, help us in this meditation, join with us as we meditate on the law of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but meditating on the law of the Lord day and night is something that we might aspire to, but it's only because Christ has done it and does it that we can uh, be involved in that because I think there are very few of us who perhaps meditate on the law of the Lord day and night uh, all of the time. And so verse 4, not so the wicked, they're like chaff. That the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And here is a, a comparison that's taken from, from a threshing floor. Now, having a, an agricultural background, in my early days, um, before there were combine harvesters all over the place, we used to have these threshing machines, and it was, it was a fixed thing. It, st it stayed in the farm, and we brought all the harvest in and put it through this threshing machine. And uh, if you have a, any idea of what chaff is like, uh, this kind of dust and, and pieces of, of grain uh, flying around and, and bits and pieces of straw, uh, this machine had plenty of it. You couldn't go near it because you'd be covered in dust uh, and, and bits of grain and, and so on. And you would be pretty black by the time you were finished at the end of the day. And so this comparison here, they said, the wicked, they're not like this one who meditates uh, on the law of God day and night. They're like chaff. They are not fixed. They don't have any uh, value to them. They're like chaff. They just blow away. And, of course, the, the depiction here is uh, in Old Testament times, they had what's called a winnowing fork, which was kind of like a shovel with fingers on it, and they would scoop up the grain and, and the chaff and throw it up in the air and, on breezy, windy days, and the chaff would blow away and the grain would fall back down to where it, where it came from. And so they would just keep doing that with this pile of grain until all the chaff had blown away and the grain remained. And so he's taking this comparison and he's saying, um, the wicked, and it'd be interesting, it's interesting to look at what the wicked means and perhaps we'll get a chance to do that. But the wicked, they are like chaff. The wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of righteous. Can you imagine Jesus praying these prayers? When we pray, pray blessed is the one, we commit ourselves to, to, to walking in the way of blessing. But when we decide that we want to go our own way, uh, then we become like chaff. 
You see, if verse 1 of Psalm 1 is true and we don't commit ourselves to it, then we fall into the category of the wicked. If it's true, then we need to commit ourselves to it 100%. Commit to be those who pray these prayers, the prayers of Jesus, and live the way that he would want us to live. Through him, not not in our own strength, in our own righteousness, but through him. We, We cannot accept that some little wickedness in us is some kind of advantage because this psalm declares the very opposite of that this psalm declares the very opposite and so we cannot say well somehow or another some little bit of of sin keeping going in our lives is going to somehow be of advantage to us no it's not we need to know and pray these prayers that Jesus prayed Only one man has ever spoken Psalm 1 fully to believe it to be true and lived it out. And of course that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we pray and sing and meditate aloud, perhaps on Psalm 1, we are affirming the blessings of that psalm upon ourselves, that they are to be found in him alone. And as we live in Christ, as we are in Christ, that blessing comes to us. Blessed is the one. Blessed is Jesus, our righteous one. His righteous spirit lives in us and we pledge to live under the blessings of Psalm 1. And I suppose that kind of saves us from a moralistic, I must do better kind of prayer kind of thoughts and beliefs that it's in him we find that strength it's in him we find that righteousness as we pray and sing the words of Psalm 1 our spirit given desire is to walk in Christ's way and we will be nourished and strengthened in order to do so and verse 6 of the psalm says this for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The Father watches over the Son, and so in him we are also held safe in the cleft of the rock. And as we can imagine that incredible safety and security in terms of our own salvation, the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Yes, We have been given righteousness, but we are not righteous in ourselves. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible tells us. Only Christ is righteous and can bring his righteousness to us as we live in him. There's an interesting verse, a few verses in the book of Jeremiah, which state almost exactly the same as we've just read in Psalm 1. And with this, I'll close. It says here in Jeremiah 17, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. That's strong words. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, 
and whose whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Not confidence in our own righteousness, whose confidence is in him. Verse 8, they will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. We want to be fruitful believers. We need to get our resources from Christ, not try to fill our lives with the things of this world, not trying to trust in man, not trying to um, enjoy the, just the, the, the issues of humankind, but to turn our hearts to the Lord. And it says here, those who don't do that, well, they won't even know prosperity when it comes. And their life will be parched and dry and in a salty land. But blessed is him who trusts in the Lord. And again, pointing to Christ, blessed is him who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And so from the vantage point of being in Christ, we can pray the Psalms with confidence that he has prayed them for us and he prays them with us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. And we ask, O oh God, that by your spirit you will allow us to hear your word and for it to have an effect, a deep effect upon our lives, a transforming effect. We thank you, Lord, for every word uh, in the scripture that has, been, that has been given by you, by your spirit even if written by David and other kings and prophets, we know, Lord, that it speaks to us from you. And so, Lord, we pray that as as we've looked at Psalm 1 today, that somehow something from it will inspire us to continue uh, to look into the Psalms and take uh, something good uh, from them. Bless us this day by hearing and heeding your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.